We're finishing up the sermon series today called Beating the Odds. It's been a great series. We've talked about beating the odds in the way we think, uh, the choices that we make, beating the odds in struggles in our families, finances. And today, on Valentine's Day, we're going to talk about beating the odds in love, romance, marriage, relationships, etc. Right? So we want to talk about what the Bible says, how we can learn how to love better so we won't fail at love or fall out of love. Let me pray with us. Father God, as we begin this time together, we thank you that you have demonstrated what love is all about. And with your presence in our life, your power in our lives, we can beat the odds when it comes to failing at love or falling out of love. So, Father God, give me the words to speak. Uh, May we speak clearly your word. May you be glorified and honored. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, during the Great Depression, America was needing a hero. And Jimmy Braddock gave hope to millions who were about to give up, even though he himself was going through some difficult times. Back in 1925, at the age of 21, Braddock won the light heavyweight amateur boxing crown in New Jersey. He did not lose another fight until his 36th fight. But then the Great Depression hit America, and in a fight, Braddock broke his hand. He needed to keep fighting because he had to feed his family. But in his last fight, he could barely lift his arms up. The fight was called a no contest. He got decommissioned, lost his license to fight. He began to work at the docks. He got on public assistance just so he could feed his family. But he kept training, hoping for another chance. And then he got a chance to fight not just anybody, but Max Baer, the world heavyweight champion. Even though the odds were considerably against him, 10 to 1, if you know anything about boxing history and a great movie called Cinderella Man, Braddock won the fight. See, Jimmy Braddock was a husband and a father who was willing to fight for the family he loved. When asked what he was fighting for, he simply said, milk, milk. So my family will have something to eat, to drink, to be nourished. Now this morning, we don't find ourselves in a great depression, but sometimes we feel like we are in the midst of depression over this great pandemic, the political division in our country and the economic struggle that many are facing. But as Christians, never forget, never forget that we have a Cinderella man who made the greatest comeback ever, that Jesus Christ beat the odds of a cruel and painful crucifixion, his arms and legs nailed to a wooden cross. He wasn't just knocked out, he wasn't just knocked down, but he was dead in a tomb for three days. The demons in hell were rejoicing, but Sunday was coming. Resurrection was happening. Now, why did he do all of that for us? Well, John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and that if you would believe in him, you would not perish, but have life everlasting. He suffered He died, 
crucified, buried. On the third day, he arose because he loves you. He wanted to teach you how to love others and also to teach us how to fight for love. I love these words in Acts 10 from the Living Bible. And we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Israel and in Jerusalem where he was murdered on a cross. But God brought him back to life again three days later and showed him to certain witnesses God has selected beforehand, not to the general public, but to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he sent us to preach the good news everywhere and to testify that Jesus is ordained of God to be the judge of all living and dead. He was murdered on a cross, but God brought him back to life. Maybe you're here listening this morning, either online or in this room, and you feel like giving up on love. Maybe you feel like romance is dying or your marriage is on the ropes. I want you to know that we have a savior. We have a friend who came to show us how to love and how to fight for those we love. So the question this morning for all of us whether we're married or not married, are you willing to fight for love? Are you willing to fight for love? We, had a, we have a Savior who was willing to fight for love, to die on a cross so that he could demonstrate his love for us. Now, on this Valentine's Day, I wanted to look at God's plan for love. And God's plan for love has not changed. Can I get a second to that? God's love And God's plan for love has not changed, even though the odds seem stacked against us in a world that we would call a post-truth world. A post-truth world. How do you find love, real love, in a post-truth world? You know, the post-truth world believes that truth is relative or is unknown and that somehow we have become the arbitrators of truth and not God that we have become the arbitrators of love and not God. And we're now living in a world, I want you to hear this, we're living in a crazy post-truth world that sees confusion as virtue and sees certainty as sin. That some progressives see morality as fuzzy, gray, or not clear, while people with clear biblical moral values are seen as being regressive and not progressive. Love is being redefined to mean whatever you want it to mean. So my friends, how can we beat those kind of odds? How as Christians can we live in a post-truth world when it seems like the world is stacked against us? I would take you to Romans 8.31 and remind you of this promise. What then shall we say in response to these things? What? Say it with me. If God is for us, who can be against us? I live in a post-truth world. You live in a post-truth world, but praise be to God, he is still for us and he is not against us. And true love has been revealed in Jesus Christ. True love based on absolute truth, not relative truth, has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ. I love these words from 1 John 4 from the paraphrased message version. My beloved friends, let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person who refuses to love 
The person who refuses to love, it's worth saying one more time in this world, the person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. So you can't know him if you don't love. This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. This is the kind of love we are talking about. Not that the world, not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. This is the kind of love I want to talk about. Not the love defined by a post-truth world or a post-Christian world, but the truth that is revealed in Holy Scripture. Now, the culture's definition of love is love that is permissive. Love where anything goes. Love that is absent of truth. Love that is based only on feelings and sentiment. And love that has become disposable. In a post-Christian world, marriage has been redefined as only a legal contract between two people and not a covenant relationship with God between a man and a woman. Now, to the world, that sounds really attractive. It sounds like really fancy. It sounds really progressive. It sounds really Hollywood. But in reality, it is not sustainable. It will not last. And we look back on history, and history can reveal to us over and over again that when we lose the meaning of truth and when we lose the meaning of love, that civilizations tend to crumble and tend to come apart at the seams. Now, by living, by being a part of a post-Christian culture, Christians, I remind you that now we are the minority. We're no longer the majority, we are the minority, and with that comes some challenges for us. But I don't believe that God has given up on this world, do you? I don't believe that God has said, I'm done. I've checked out. It's over. Next week, we're beginning a new sermon series called Out of the Box. How the early church carried out Jesus' great commission to reach the world with good news, the good news of the gospel. Now, I think it's interesting to note, and this is a little precursor for two weeks when I'm preaching on this, but it's in the context of what we need to understand about love. Now, we live in a post-Christian culture, but make no doubt about it that the new church exploded in a pre-Christian world. How did that happen? How did the, the, the church, new Christianity, explode in a pre-Christian world? Well, I believe they were bold. I believe they were full of the Holy Spirit, but also they were full of love. They, they, they were overflowing with the love of God, despite being persecuted despite being put to death. I love what some of the early Roman historians wrote about those early Christians in, in the face of persecution, in the face of plagues and pestilence. Look, he wrote, how these Christians love one another while pagans hate one another and how these Christians are ready to die for each other while these pagans are ready to kill each other. I believe the way Christians loved were getting the attention of those who lived in a pre-Christian world. During the Syrian plague that caused almost 5,000 deaths a day, people were fleeing the cities. However, 
One historian wrote, the Christians, they stayed behind. They tended to the dying and to the burial. They, they gathered those who were starving and gave bread to them. The Christians' deeds were on everyone's lips and they glorified the God of the Christians. How did the Christians reach a pre-Christian world? They demonstrated the love of God, the love of Jesus Christ. And I believe that this next great spiritual awakening that needs to come to our culture and come to our world will come when we truly demonstrate how much we love God how we truly love each other in our families, in our marriages, how we love each other in the church and how we love each other or love those outside the walls of the church. I believe that reaching a post-Christian world is not much different than reaching a pre-Christian world if we are full of the love of God. Can I get a second to that? That's a hard task though. It's easier just to preach about it. It's easier to just talk about it. It's either easier just to let other people do it. But if we're going to reach this world, we've got to change the way we love. And we've got to go back to the way that God told us to love. We will reach the world when we love well. When we love the way Jesus loved, a love full of grace and truth, a love that is sacrificial. And true love, true love, true biblical love is always sacrificial. It's based on agape love. You know, this is Valentine's Day. And with Valentine's, the, the culture and the world zero in on eros love or erotic love. There's a place for that in, even in Christian marriage, a place for physical love. But there's also a place for sacrificial love, agape love. So I want to read for you uh, today the famous scripture reading from 1 Corinthians 13. And we've not yet stood for scripture reading. I've read a lot already, but let's stand together. This is a great passage to honor God as you read his word today. Reading from 1 Corinthians 13 from the Living Bible paraphrase. If I had the gift of being able to speak in, every, in other languages without learning them and could speak in every language there is in all of heaven and earth but didn't love others, I would only be making noise. If I had the gift of prophecy and knew all about what was, is going to happen in the future, knew everything about everything but didn't love others, what good would it do? Even if I had the gift of faith so that I could speak to a mountain and make it move, I would still be worth nothing at all without love. If I gave everything I have to poor people, and if I were burned alive for preaching the gospel but didn't love others, it would be of no value whatever. Love is very patient and kind, never jealous or envious, never boastful or proud, never haughty or selfish or rude, Love does not demand its own way. It is not irritable or touchy. It does not hold grudges and will hardly even notice when others do it wrong. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. If you love someone, you will be loyal to him no matter what the cost. You will always believe in him, always expect the best of him, and always stand your ground in defending him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So as I unpack very quickly this passage here, and it's going to be quick hitters, I know that in the room this morning we have some young couples. Welcome this morning. I think I heard a baby crying earlier. Wasn't a baby crying somewhere? That's great. Wonderful. It's 
good to hear babies crying in the sanctuary. Amen? We can celebrate that. We know we've spread out across two big rooms and COVID and all that. So we got couples. we got young couples. Uh, we've got uh, uh, some of us who are middle, older, getting old couples. Uh, been doing this a long time. We've got some folks in the room that are single. We've got folks that are single again. We've got folks that are um, single because of death and are grieving the, the, the death of a loved one. But let me just say this about as I go through this. All of us here in this room are striving to be the church. So as I go through these things, I want you to take them in the context that Paul originally delivered them to the church. It wasn't this passage, though we read it at a lot of weddings, um, and I read it to a lot of couples who are in marriage, it is written to the church and how we should treat each other. You see, the church in Corinth was full of tension and, and dissension and division and the church was in trouble because they were not treating each other well because of the disagreements they had about doctrine and theology. And Paul says, if you're going to make a difference in the world, if you're going to change the world, you've got to love each other better. And here's how you love each other. So I'm going to take this from the context of Valentine's Day, but it applies to every single one of us of how we should love. And again, I believe if we're going to reach this world out there, we've got to love better in the church and outside the church, in our families and outside of our families. If we apply these truths to our marriages and our relationships and our church, we will beat the odds of failing at love. And we will certainly beat the odds of falling out of love. And we'll become a light to a world that is failing at love. We've got a world that's failing miserably at love. And they need a light. There's a book, uh, a little book that Lynn and I have been reading and, and I'm going to ask this in the last service. About 12, 15 years ago, Les and Leslie Parrott led a marriage conference in Mount Horror. Anybody here that was at that marriage conference? One? Okay, I had two in the last service. So great conference. But there was a little book, devotion book, uh, on 1 Corinthians 13. And Lynn and I worked our way through it again. And just some good stuff. So I'm going to pick a couple th- quotes out of there, but I want to just run through these things really quickly here because they're, they're, they're timely. They're, they're, it's crucial. Love is patient. Will you be patient with me as I go through this this morning? Will you love me enough to be patient? Pa- patience is the loving response to frustration. Anybody get frustrated with your spouse? Yeah. All right. I see some squirming back there. You know, I see, some, I see a couple of you bent over because somebody punched you in the side. But patience is loving response to frustration, the ability to endure something we'd rather not endure. But patience wants waste on love to work. Patience waits on love to work, even when love is struggling. Secondly, love is kind. Kindness is, is, is the commitment to bless. Kindness is the commitment to improve the life of another person. And kindness always shows up in small ways. Not in big ways. You know, when somebody makes a, a very generous donation to the church or to an organization, we don't call it a kind donation. We call it a big donation. But kindness shows up in little ways. When we readjust the car seat after driving our spouse's car. I saw another couple looks over there. 
Yeah, Lynn said, you got to work on that, Jeff. You used my car and you never put the seat back, so now I'm going to try to be more kind. When we fill the spouse's car up with gas, when we run it empty, when we raise or lower the toilet seat, (laughs) kindness can be a hundred small behaviors that make life better. On this Valentine's Day, let's commit to being kind. Let's commit to being patient with each other. And then he goes into a litany of things that love is not. Love does not envy. Envy is not just wanting what someone else has. Envy is wanting the other person not to have it. The antidote to envy is to celebrate what God has given someone. To celebrate someone's blessings, not to want their blessing, not to wish it away. Strive to have a love that doesn't want what you don't have. Celebrate. Love does not boast. Love doesn't say, look how wonderful I am, but instead, look how wonderful you are. And let me just say, as I testify about this church, I testify how wonderful you are. How wonderful you are in leadership. How wonderful you are in in generosity. How wonderful you are in service. How wonderful you are in commitment to being faithful to the word of God. I want to brag on you. I want to boast about you. Love is not proud. Love is not proud. Now, some of these, you know, we get into some, some, some... little bit of gray areas because there's some things we need to take pride in, right? We need to take pride in, in, in some of our accomplishments and, and, and abilities that, that have come from hard work, that, that have good self-respect. I love the story I read about Harvey Firestone, the founder of the Firestone Tire Company. It seems his daughter was getting married to Etzel Ford's son. And so the whole Etzel Ford family came from Detroit in brand new Lincoln Continentals to Harvey Firestone's estate in Akron, Ohio. Had those new Lincoln Continentals parked in Harvey Firestone's garage. And during the rehearsal and rehearsal dinner, Harvey Firestone had his manager check the tires on the Lincoln Continentals. And when he found out they had general tires on them instead of Firestone tires, he jacked them all up and had them changed to Firestone tires because he was proud of his tires. And he wanted to make sure his daughter was going to ride in style, safety, and comfort. Now, you can discern what kind of pride that was, but love is not proud. See, unhealthy pride is based on self-love, only self-love, while healthy pride is grounded in truth and reality. Healthy love can laugh at its own flaws. Healthy love requires humility. See, the humble person is secure in who they are in Jesus Christ and and, and do not feel a need to build themselves up. Instead, they have the capacity to build up others. You see, when we've been built up by the grace of God, he gives us the capacity to build others up. When we've been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, we are to overflow so we can fill others up. C.S. Lewis said this, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Love is not rude, 
Being rude is when we tear someone down to build ourselves up. Rude is revealed by name-calling or in anger or hostile humor or sarcasm. You know, we're blessed to have Steve Arneson in the room here with us today, and this is like preaching to a professor over here on marriage because he's a marriage counselor. But Steve, you and I were doing a sermon one time, and you, you talked about sarcasm. I never forgot what you said about sarcasm in that message, that sarcasm is only funny to the person being sarcastic. It's only funny to the person being sarcastic. Love is not rude. It's not our, it's not our, it's not our calling or it should not be our desire to tear down our spouses or to tear down our children in order to build ourselves up by being sarcastic. That somebody would think I was funny. Love is not rude. Love is not self-seeking. Now, this is a hard one because there are few selfless saints in the world. All of us have some tendencies to be selfish. But love is not selfish. What does that mean? Again, the goal is to set aside self-seeking to seeking to meet the needs of those we love with sacrifice and service. We, we look at the example of Jesus who said, I came not to be served, but to serve. And he took a towel and a basin and washed the dirty feet of his disciples. To love the way that Jesus loved, to love in our marriages, to love in our families. If we all took the posture of, of being a servant. Now, I'm not suggesting you become a doormat, but I am asking all of us to become servants where we, we, we try to build the ones we love up. And this next one, Steve, I may need some counsel on this. Uh, love does not quickly become angry. Anger is a challenge for us in relationships. And it doesn't say love doesn't ever get angry. It says love does not get angry quick. Anger, love does not have a short fuse. Love has a, a long fuse, right? Now, too oftentimes we, we live in denial about anger. We, we blame our anger, or we make excuses on our anger for being tired or being stressed or being overworked or COVID, right? Well, this COVID is just making me angry. And, and, and certainly those things happen but when we blame it and, and are in denial, we're not dealing with anger as a problem. Or we suppress our anger until it explodes. Or we rationalize our anger as being righteous. All of us have gotten angry wrongly before. But let us confess that as a sin and, 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 and strive to, 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 to not be angry quickly. I love what Aristotle said. I don't know if I've ever quoted Aristotle in a sermon before, this is good. Anybody can become angry, that is easy. But to be angry at the right person, to the right degree, at the right time, for the right reason, and in the right way, that's not very easy. <laughs> but I believe, again, we look at the example of Jesus, that Jesus got angry in the right way, to the right degree, at the right time, for the right reason. And there's a right way and a wrong way to release my anger, to deal with our anger. My anger can be helpful or my anger can be harmful. 
And true love will strive to keep that under control. Love is not resentful. That sometimes leads in, anger leads to becoming resentful. You know, one of the, one of the probably the, the things over my, over my ministry that I have probably wrestled with the most, struggled with the most, is those who want to be resentful because love, according to the message paraphrase here of 1 Corinthians 13, love does not keep score of the sins of others. Love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. And I've wrestled with people who get to a tipping point, right? Because none of us are perfect. All of us make mistakes. But there are some people who keep score. And, and, and when you get to a certain point... It's over. It's a tipping point, right? Aren't you so glad that God doesn't keep score? Amen? That, that, that if God kept score, we would all be without hope. But we serve a gracious God who, who, who calls us to live a sinless life. But when we sin, we confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us. If we're going to really love in the church and love in our families, we've got to stop keeping score of our mistakes and our sins. See, forgiveness will help us not be a prisoner of the past. I love what a famous actress once said. Once a wife has forgiven her man, she must not reheat his sins for breakfast. <laughs> How many of you have been in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a discussion with your spouse, someone you love, and you know you need to let it go, right? You need to just walk away, right? You need to shut it down. But you've got two more good points. You've been saving these good points for just a time as this, right? And you know you should let it go, but you won't forget. True love is not resentful. Our Lord forgives our sins and spreads them as far as the east is to the west. That's what real love does. When your spouse offends you, let it go. When you offend your spouse, ask for forgiveness and let it go. We got to tear down the scoreboards, right, Steve? Got to tear down the scoreboards. And then I would say these things real quickly. The baby's letting me know it's about that time. <laughs> Love having babies in the sanctuary. Love always protects, right? For Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart. A protective shield around those that you love. Why? Because the enemy is coming to steal, kill, and destroy. To steal our dreams of love, to steal our dreams of marriage, to steal our dreams of romance, to counterfeit it, to derail it, to destroy it. I tell the couples that I do premarital counseling with, you got to guard your, you got to guard your relationship. You got to guard your love. There can be no secrets. Lynn and I have the same pat. We, we have the same password. So if you get my password, you got Lynn's password, right? Because there are no secrets in our family. Whatever's on my phone, she can look at whatever's on her phone. I can look at no, no passwords for the computer. It's all open. 
Now, occasionally I'll say that, that email there, you don't need to read because that is confidential. That's a counseling situation. And she doesn't go look at my email. Lynn never does that. Why? Because she trusts me. Because I trust her. But, but there doesn't need to be a separate here and a separate here. Because we need to protect each other. Ask God to put a hedge of protection around your hearts. Be accountable with each other. Pray with each other. Share with each other. Don't hide from each other. I believe that the evil one, more than, than ever, is wanting to tear apart marriages of those within ministry. Because if he can tear apart marriages of those in ministry, then he tears apart ministries and tears apart churches and creates casualties and all kinds of catastrophe. So I ask for you to pray for me and pray for our staff. I believe that one of the things that we do really, really well, praise be to God, to God be the glory. We come together on Friday mornings to pray. Men of the church come together to pray. We had 70 men praying online in this room Friday morning, and we pray for God's hedge of protection to be around the ministry, to be around the staff, to be around the lay leadership of our church. Because it's a, it's a cruel world out there. We've got to protect. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Trust is always built on truth. Again, protect, trust based on truth. Without vulnerability, our relationships will only be a shadow of what they are intended to be. Be truthful. Tell each other the truth. And that's one of the problems of our world today is we don't want to tell anybody the truth. We have a weak love, an imitation love, that doesn't want to tell anybody the truth because we don't want to hurt their feelings. I hope and pray that you love me enough to say, Jeff, hey, you need to be aware of this. You need to be concerned about this. I'm concerned about you, brother. But yet we want to tiptoe around the truth because we don't want to offend anyone. And we wonder why our world is in the shape of sin. Love always hopes. Hopelessness is either caused by regrets from our past or fear of the future. With God's grace, you can let go of the past and with God's presence, you can move forward into the future. God's love always endures. Love always endures. Love endures. It, it, it's, it's hard, but it endures. God's love endures. You know, we're going to have, and I'm going to talk about it at the very end here, but Steve Arneson and Lynn and I had a session together getting ready for the virtual marriage retreat. And one of the things that we talked about in our ministry that Steve talked about was about um, learning to fight fair and how to fight fair better. Anybody here need that lesson, how to fight fair? Then you need to dial into that. It was great stuff, Steve. Thank you again for that. But it's fighting fair that helps love endure because you fight through the obstacles. You fight through the problems. You, you do it in a way that doesn't offend and, 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 and throw a hand grenade into your relationship. When God is allowed to lead, the impossible becomes possible. You know, when Lynn and I first got married, we were good friends and good lovers. Then as time went on, we became better friends and good lovers. And I'll tell you unashamedly that today we are best friends and we're great lovers. Because love endures. Because we have stuck it out through the hard times and the challenging times and the trying times. And, and when you get there, it's good. It's really good. 
And there are times that people in our world today give up way too soon. And God wants you to endure. Again, I'm not asking you to become a doormat. But I am asking you to bring God's plans into love and God's teachings into love and see if it works. Because true love has a destiny. You know that, right? True love has a destiny. I love this quote from N.T. Wright, the New Testament theologian. Love is not merely the Christian duty. Love is the Christian destiny. It's where God's taken us. And everything we're doing right now is preparation for what's coming. We're rehearsing for how love is going to be in the kingdom of God. This new kingdom and this new earth that you prayed about when you prayed the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done because love is the destiny. Paul concludes this great chapter with these words in verse 12 and 13. Now we see things imperfectly like, a, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. My friends, true love is a destiny. It's a journey. And Lynn and I have been on it now, praise be to God, for 43 years, 44 years. And it's a journey. It's been a journey of love for this church. We've been together for 27 years. It's a journey of love. It's a destiny, but we're going somewhere, right? There, there, there's an end in sight, and it's the, it's the kingdom of God. It's the glory of God. But here's the key. We can't do this on our own. One last verse. I love these words about true love's power. Romans 5, 5. And this hope that I have for my marriage, that, it, that every couple has when they stand in front of this church or any church and, and get married in a covenant relationship with God in the marriage, this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how deeply God loves us because he has given us what? The Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Whew, isn't that good news? Is that I can't, I don't have to muster this up. This is a gift from God. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love will flow from us when we allow the Spirit of God. I love what the last verse says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at the right time and died for us sinners. Somebody say amen to that. Lynn and I are still learning. Lynn and I are still listening. Lynn and I are still working at loving each other with agape, sacrificial love. We don't always get it right. But I'll tell you this. By the grace of God, we've endured not because of some uncertain, fuzzy understanding of morality. Not because of some fuzzy social constraints. We've endured because real biblical love works. Real biblical love works. If you want to change your relationship, dial in to the love of God. Invite the Holy Spirit to be in the midst of your marriage, in the midst of your relationship. Church, you want us to change the world? Let the Holy Spirit fall upon us in powerful ways so we can love each other even better and love those outside of the church even better. So now a shameless plug, a virtual marriage retreat. You know, I gave this away free at the last service. I said there was no charge. They told me afterwards it's $10, but anyway. What a steal, right? $10 retreat. But it's going to be a great retreat. We've, had, we've got 62 couples signed up for it right now. And if you've been married a long time, you still need this. If you just started in marriage, you need this. 
If you're planning to get married, you need to do this. We want God to bless relationships in our church. So 62 couples have signed up. There's information about it. It's next weekend. Uh, Go there and sign up for it. And in closing today, I want to pray for us. As I pray for you, will you pray for me? Will you pray for Lynn and I? Last week, we sang that great song, The Blessing in the Auditorium. And I asked people to pray for uh, our our children and our grandchildren their children and their, their grandchildren, a blessing. I want to pray a blessing upon you and your relationship this morning. Can we pray together? Father God, I thank you that, that you want to bless us, that Jesus came into this world while we were yet sinners, when things felt hopeless, when we felt helpless, and Jesus Christ demonstrated your love, that on the cross so that our sins would be forgiven if we would believe and accept. And Father God, I thank you for changing my life through your amazing love, picking me up out of dysfunction and giving me a sense of what love is about. Thank you for building love in me over these last 43 years, 44 years with Lynn, and that, that you have kept us together, that you've helped us bring two children and six grandchildren into this world. Help us to love them better, Father God. Help us to love each other better within the church. Help us to love those outside of the church even better so that this great awakening can come as we love you with all of our heart, mind, and soul and love our neighbors as ourselves. So just bless people here today. If there's someone here today that has not invited you into their life, I pray that they would open the door of their heart to you and receive your love. If there's a couple here today that's struggling in their marriage. I pray that right now they would invite you into their marriage in a new and a fresh way. That they will seek out help from a counselor, from a pastor, and just seek to to, to know what love is. And Father God, those who are hurting today because the death of a loved one, being single again, I pray for healing. And I pray that they would be so surrounded by your loving arms that they would feel your peace and your presence like never before. Father, we love you. And we love you because you first loved us. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.